Welcome to Quest for Peace. I'm Ayaz Akhtar, and if you're watching the show, you know that I've got problems. Lots and lots of problems. And uh, I've been trying to figure out how to get some kind of peace of mind for the past, now it's been about seven years. And uh, a lot of that is because I have a young son. I want to make sure that I can tell him, hey, there's a reason why you get angry, because I went through the same thing. And I figure a lot of brain chemistry. Obviously, uh, nurturing is, is, is important, too. A lot of it's going to be nature. And speaking of nature, we've got a guest today. You've probably heard some birds if you're listening to this with earbuds. We've got Tim Stevens on, who apparently decided to become one with nature today. Because <laughs> where are you, Tim? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. I am sitting under a tree. I thought I'd try to go to as peaceful a place as I could for this recording. So uh, yeah, I'm sitting out in my yard under the tree. I got my dogs out here with me, too, so they may, uh, they may stop by and say hello, too. So I got one right here. As a matter of fact, this is Yoshi, <laughs> we, who is uh, saying hello. Hi, Yoshi. You want to be on the podcast? Yeah. So you got, she wants to say hi. You got Yoshi there, um, and we don't have a lower third for Yoshi. Sorry. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have. She has a Twitter handle actually. It's uh, Miss Grantilda on Twitter. If you want to follow her, but yeah, she doesn't have a formal title. She pretty much just sleeps a lot. Okay, well, you know, let, let, let's just we, we've uh, we've done a previous episode before. So if you want to like learn about um, other stuff about just tim and, and how he handles uh, stress check out that at uh, gfqnetwork.com let's just talk about animals right now because sure i've got two dogs you've got two dogs and i actually you have more than two now or are you just up two still still just two we keep thinking about getting a third but um but uh, having two dogs is complicated enough when you're traveling and needing to do boarding and all that stuff so we haven't uh, made the plunge to get a third just yet yeah so animals in general i found can be extraordinarily sympathetic there's something about <laughs> Like, if you're in a bad mood, when a dog just sits next to you, and this thing never says anything, although one day I do expect one of my dogs to say, like, no, I don't want that. Uh, but <laughs> it, just, it just sits there, and there's something about its its idleness, its stillness and waiting there that I find incredibly calming. Do you Do your pets have the same effect on you? Uh, generally, they do, yeah. I mean, there's certainly times where my dogs make me very stressed out. Uh, my first dog, Bowser, and in fact, when I was training him, uh, he was very ornery, uh, very or- ornery as a puppy. So he would be uh, very stubborn, didn't want to do what I wanted to tell him. I was trying to teach him to walk on a leash or uh, to, you know, stay or do that sort of thing. Uh, he got me very, very frustrated at times. But ultimately, you know, he always forgave me even when I got mad and yelled at him and that sort of thing. So that kind of uh, kind of taught me a lot about, um, you know, letting things roll off your back and, and never to get too angry because he was just, you know, just a, a simple puppy. He didn't really understand what was going on. So if I ever got angry at him, I just felt awful because he, you know, he, he, there's no reason to be mad at a, a dog who you're trying to teach things to. So, so that, I think, helped me out a lot. And now, yeah, they're great. I mean, it, it, they're always very, um, very happy to see me whenever I come home, which is great. So it doesn't matter how long or how grueling the trip was or how exhausted I am after you know, a long day on the road or coming off a train or a flight that got in late. Uh, the dogs are always really excited to see me, and that's, that definitely helps me out when I get home, too, I think. You know, and, and I think sometimes if, um, at least for myself, if I could treat people as nicely as I treat dogs, <laughs> that would be very nice. Because the idea is like, okay, in my, in my brain, this mm-hmm. dog is not processing information like I am. It's impossible. Okay, this, is, right. this, this animal is distinctly different. It's an alien, effectively. Look at the thing. And mm-hmm. because of that, you approach it very differently. Like if, if you coddle a, a pet while it's, there's a thunderstorm, that dog's going to learn to be coddled when it's storming. So it's going to constantly right. whine until it gets it. But yeah. as a human, you want to do that for, for another human being. But to uh-huh. have the mindset of like, hmm, what does it understand? What does it understand exactly? If I say the word, you know, blah, 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 I just hear sit. That's great. That's fantastic. 
Uh-huh. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Because you've seen, as, as long as I've known you, you've been super chill. I've yet to see you blow a gasket. You jet set. You are constantly <laughs> everywhere. You're in different yeah. time zones every other uh-huh. day. How on earth are you not snapping at people, first of all? And how do you handle all of this, the, the stress on yourself, physically and mentally, of all the traveling? I definitely think a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, when it comes to frustrations with individuals, is trying to put yourself in, those sh- in their shoes. It's something that I always try to do. Um, and, you know, that is definitely hard with a dog because you have no idea what they're thinking or, or if indeed they're thinking anything. And half the time, I'm pretty sure at least one of my dogs is, is rarely thinking anything at all. Uh, but, you know, trying to relate w- with people, I think, helps a lot. You know, there's no point in getting frustrated at, at a gate agent at the airport because ultimately she's not the one who caused the flight to be delayed or caused the thunderstorm in Atlanta that delayed your incoming flight. Uh, you know, that sort of thing, I think, helps a lot, uh, you know, trying to figure out where you should route your frustrations if you have any. And ultimately, a lot of the times you just realize that there's nowhere to point them to. And if you're not able to get angry at something or someone for doing something wrong, then there's no point in yelling and screaming and, and shouting. That's just going to make things worse. Uh, so I think that that helps me a lot, too, just trying to trying to relate with people, understand what's going on as best I can. And uh, but ultimately, I think a lot of it just comes down to, um, you know, to my nature, which is to tend to, you know, take a deep breath and sit back and look at the situation. And if there's something I can do, then I'll go do it. If there's nothing that I can do to help the situation, then I try not to let it bother me. That's easier said than done. But, um, but you know, those are important things to try for anyway. You know, I've, I've tried the deep breath method. And uh, what it does is that people go, why are you taking a deep breath? It's like, because like, you, you obviously know why I'm doing it. Whoever's sitting next to me, they're like, oh, you're stressed. And then they start reacting immediately. Yeah, so yeah. they know that I'm gonna like I'm gonna boil over, and it's like, okay, wait a second, I have no way to safeguard that thing. Uh, do, do you have any tips on silently uh, letting a breath out? Not literally, but like uh, mentally. I don't know that um, you know. I, I think that it's okay if people hear you take a deep breath. Honestly, I mean, if people hear that you're frustrated, maybe that's important for them to know. Maybe they don't realize that. I don't think that's the end of the world. But you know, internally, uh, you know, there's a lot of meditation techniques that, that you can do with it. It's just relaxing your muscles. I, I find that my shoulders tend to get very tense if I'm getting a little bit frustrated or stressed. So I tend to, you know, try to stretch my shoulders a little bit or just move around a little bit. Uh, obviously, if I'm sitting at a desk and I can, it's great to, to stand up and walk walk away from things if I can. That helps a lot too, even if it's just for 30 seconds. Um, but yeah, if it's something that you're, you know, if you're sitting in a meeting and you're getting very frustrated, um, you know, at that point, maybe flex your toes or shrug your shoulders a little bit to help out a little bit. But uh, ultimately, you know, I try to see that stuff coming and try to head it off at the past much more so if I can. Um, but, you know, it's, it depends on the situation, I suppose. Well, let's, let's embarrass me a little bit. So a couple of days ago, we were on, <laughs> we were on a conference call, as, as we do every day. We're on a conference call uh, at work. And then after the conference call, I get an IM from Tim and he says... Hey, is everything okay? I think something like that. And I'm like, I'm okay. And then eventually I, I realize I'm like, wait a second. Why did he ask me that? It seems unusual. It's out of character cuz cuz we don't work in this we don't work in the same office and you go, right. "Well, you sounded a little frustrated." Okay, now, how the hell did you pick right. that up on the phone if you actually mm-hmm. remember that? And I do. What exactly what what does it sound like because to me I always sound the same, but but then again, it's in my own head. Who knows what I sound like? But you obviously know what I sound like when I'm frustrated. So I want to know what the hell does that sound like? Excuse my well, language. I, I, <laughs> no worries. I, I've been I'm someone who's worked remotely for a long time. Uh, and to be successful at that, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to work with coworkers who you don't see every day or even every week. Um, you know, so you, you have to learn to pick up tone of voice a lot in conference calls and even tone of voice 
in emails, which is incredibly difficult. You know, it's it's very very difficult to get your tone across in an email, especially if you're in a hurry, um, and it's very difficult to pick that up too. So that's something that I've I've worked on a lot over the past however many years I've been working professionally now. And uh, so that's just something that I, I sort of picked up on. I don't think that you didn't sound angry, you didn't sound uh, curt or anything like that, but you, your responses were a little bit shorter than usual, which was the thing that I picked up on. It, and I think that's, that's a general thing if you're trying to figure out if someone is frustrated or upset, um, you know, even if they're giving the right answers, but those answers are shorter than they usually are, uh, that's a pretty good sign that something's not, something's not quite right. Either they're in a hurry, uh, which is entirely possible, or, or maybe they're a little bit frustrated. Uh, and I could tell you were getting a little bit frustrated about something, so I just wanted to check in to make sure things were okay. And I, did, I really did appreciate that. I'm laughing about it because it was just so, like, incredibly, like, <laughs> like how... How is it so obvious? Because I, I was I was trying to keep it back a little bit, and I, I remember I was just really frustrated that day. I was trying to do some other work, and I had uh, other people interrupting a lot, and it, it was very very hard to get stuff done. And uh, I was just kind of like, okay, I need to end this meeting because I need to get back to what I was doing. Uh, and I remember yep, that I know that feeling. I've and, been there many times. And you, you want to make sure that everyone's still happy, but also like I was trying to figure out. And this happens to me a lot. I I go, what does a human being say? in this situation because i have no idea and you know a lot of the things on this show i've talked to a lot of people and there's they say like you know we're all humans and we're all doing the same thing and i have a hard time thinking that way which is weird uh how do you get to this this is like i feel like a child asking like an adult something it's like how do you get to uh feel like a human being or like understand how do you how do you put yourself in other people's shoes so easily such that uh you're calm Ah, uh, that's a good question. It, it, it again depends on the situation, depends on what's going on. But um, I guess I've always had a pretty active mind, which I think is one of the reasons that, that I've always liked writing because you know writing requires a lot of creativity. Even if you're writing something that's fairly tedious and fairly boring, you still need a lot of creativity to, to kind of pull it all together. Um, and so I've always had a pretty active mind when it comes to uh, to looking at somebody on the street. Ever since I was a kid, I would look at random people on the street and just kind of imagine, you know, how do they get to where they are right now, and and where are they going, and where they hope to get to. Um, so you know. I guess building on top of that, it's it's kind of an extension of that to um, to look at someone in a meeting and figure out you know what has their day been like thus far, how are things going for them, uh, you know if they're frustrated, you know what's been going on because of that, how can I help the situation if indeed I can help the situation, or how can I at least not make the situation any worse? Um, and that is something that I'm always focused on, or always trying to try to do anyway to try to figure out exactly you know what brought someone to the situation that they're in right now, um, and you know where do they want to go and. As a manager, that's a very important skill, of course, because you're trying to figure out, um, you know, not only to get the people who work for you to do to do good things, but also to help them to make sure that they're getting to where they want to go. Because if, if your you know if your employees aren't satisfied, then ultimately they're not going to be delivering good work, and that's a very important thing at the end of the day. But you know, that's very self fulfilling for me to be able to to help other people to get where they where they want to go to be doing work that they find fulfilling. Um, and I think that's you know that's a very important skill, even if you're not managing someone. But um, you know, if you're working your way up the ladder, that kind of thing. I think those are very important things to to realize what brings someone to work every day. Um, you know, where they want to be at the end of the day, where they want to be at the end of the week or at the end of the year, uh, and to see what you can do to help them to get there. Uh, and that's something that that I've always tried to do, even when I'm not you know managing someone or or working directly on someone's career. Uh, I think ultimately that's just for me anyway. That's a fulfilling thing. Uh, I was thinking about what you were just saying there, and I, I believe that was a. I think I have this Budify app. I use it on my on mm-hmm. my iPhone, and actually, one of the meditations is like, you know, look at somebody on the bus you're on or the train, and mm-hmm. then try to understand, like, just try to come up with a backstory for them. Try to mm-hmm. understand what they're going through, and it's interesting to find out that you were doing that as a kid, 
and it's kind of it is meditative and it's, it's causing you to focus on something outside of yourself and it puts you in that situation and i found that yeah i think so i remember a couple of times where i've tried that on the bus back when i was in petaluma going to san francisco which is a long mm. hour and a half yeah and i'd come up with some crazy backstories for people like because i would see some of these people regularly and i'm like why are they also doing this long commute and i started coming up with stories eventually i even started talking to them in real life which is even weirder because then, like, the backstories are blown. But whatever. Yeah. yeah you, you start to believe that you have secret powers, that you can sort of figure out these people, and you start to think that you actually know what they're, what they're at, up to, you know, who they are, where they came from. And then if you ever do speak with them, of course, you realize that you have no secret powers whatsoever. You just have a very overactive mind, perhaps. But, um, but I, I do think it's a valuable exercise, um, even if you are completely off the mark. Uh, I, I do think it keeps, you know, keeps, your, keeps your brain active in what may not be an active situation. And if people watching for me is... Something that I've always enjoyed, it's one of the reasons that I like going to Japan so much is because um, there are so many very interesting people walking around with very interesting fashions and, and hairdos and that sort of thing. Uh, so I always, uh, I love to go to Japan and just sit in a cafe somewhere and, uh, and watch people go by. I think that's a very, uh, very entertaining thing. Okay, so like right now you're in an environment that sounds very peaceful. We can hear the birds yeah, chirping. It is very peaceful. You have dogs, you got it's under a tree. Is there an environment where you get stressed out and if you do... What do you do there? Because, I mean, I, for me, I, I think I can go from city to quiet very easily because I started off in a city. And mm-hmm. I think you started in Vermont. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in a very small town in Vermont out in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, yeah, for me, country life is, is what comes natural. So is there any environments that you're just like, okay, I can't do this. I can't be in a submarine for too long. Or <laughs> well, I mean, there must be some place where you're just like, I can't do it. I've I've been in submarines not for very long, so I don't know how I would deal with weeks or months at sea. Um, but uh, you know, for me, it, it's cities. I, I do. I, I like to go visit New York City. I like to go visit San Francisco. Um, but uh, after a couple of days there, uh, I tend to I don't know. I tend to start to recoil from people. You know, I don't like. Uh, um, you know, if I'm walking down the street, I don't like waiting for the, the lights to change every time. Um, you know, if I'm going in the subway, you know, being crowded on a subway and having to stand up instead of being able to sit down, those sorts of things start to irritate me after a while. It's the kind of thing that day one or day two, it's, it's no big deal, but day three, day four, day five, uh, it starts to get a bit old. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess big cities in general, they, they take a lot, take a lot out of me. Uh, so after a couple of days, it's good for me to get back in the country and go take a walk in the woods and not have to worry about street lights or, or other people or trains running late or anything like that. Yeah, I find that to be not odd but different because, I mean, when I was, when I was growing up, I, I was used to that. And mm-hmm. when I got to small towns, I was like, why is everybody moving so slowly? <laughs> why, why do I have to wait for this car? Why, we, why is everyone actually going 20 miles per hour? Why are people stopping mm-hmm. for people crossing the street in the middle? Why are there no lights here? What, what is happening in this? Like I was – I would stress about what you find to be calming. And I'm just like, after a while, it took me like a couple of years. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. get it. And I can cross the street safely. What an idea. But- I, I think I might have mentioned this the last time I was on. But uh, in Vermont, we moved to New York when I was in high school. Uh, upstate New York to Albany. So it wasn't like you know a big city. But for us, it was a huge city. And coming from Vermont, we had a hard time understanding what people were saying because they were talking so quickly. Uh, and we, you know, country bumpkins, needed everyone to slow down so we could understand what they were saying. Now I speak too fast, so obviously I, I adopted things very quickly. But yeah, it was the complete opposite for us. Everyone was moving too quickly. Everyone was talking too quickly. And we had a real hard time adopting. I think I was 12 or 13 at that point. So, um, But yeah, I've, I've learned to do with it at this point, for the most part. Yeah, I'm just also trying to, like, uh, learning to speak in a way that people understand me. Obviously, everyone goes through that from the very beginning when they're kids. You know, how do I say this? What's the vocabulary? And I started off in New York, so I spoke very, very quickly. And if you think I talk fast now, 
you should have met me in high school because I would I would just go go go. And what's funny is when I moved to California and I basically was it was drilled into my head slow down slow down slow down. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where we work right now. I was told. I know by by a very, very high producer saying to me, I know you like to talk slowly in a news voice. And I started laughing because I had practiced that for years to slow down. And she's like, can you be a little faster? Like, yes, I can. Yes, I can do that. And it was just- I have the opposite problem now. I'm always getting told to slow down whenever I do a TV appearance or that kind of thing. That's, that's the number one feedback I get is that I talk too quickly. So uh, obviously I adapted to my new surroundings uh, very well, I guess. A little too well. What, what, what about that kind of stress? So, like, you get to do a lot of um, awesome stuff. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, when it comes to going to CBS this morning, you're on those mm-hmm. shows, you're showing off either devices or you're commentating about things, and you're up super early. How do you handle that kind of pressure? Because I think to a lot of people, that would be somewhat terrifying. You're going out there, you're being seen by a national audience. Yeah. How, how do yeah. you handle that? It's a lot of pressure, especially for me, because I've always had a speech impediment. I've always stuttered, which makes it very difficult for me to, to speak usually, but for whatever reason, when I go on TV, I kind of adopt a, a more dramatic style of speaking, I guess, and um, I think the more that you uh, focus on your voice and that kind of thing, it actually helps the stuttering go away, so that helps a bit, but, but you know, it is still definitely an incredibly high-pressure situation. You've got maybe 90 seconds, maybe two minutes if you're lucky to get very important points across and everything's going out live, so if you screw up, everyone's going to see it. Um, you know, I actually don't get that stressed while I'm doing it, but it all kind of hits me as soon as I step off the stage. And at that point, I actually get more stressed out than when I'm actually doing it. And I'm the most stressed out when I watch myself because I make myself go back and watch this stuff because it's the only way that I really kind of learn what I've done wrong and how to get better. And that's how I've, you know, as good as I am now or as not good as I am now, the only reason that I am where I am is because I've watched myself and been very critical of, of my own performance and, and learned, you know, don't do that, sit up more straight, don't say this word the way you did, you know, don't cross your fingers like that when you're sitting at the desk. Um, all these things that I've learned just by watching myself. But that is the hardest part for sure is to come back and then to watch the recording of myself. Uh, at that point, that's, that is incredibly stressful for me. Once I do that, I need to get up and walk away from the computer for a few minutes because uh, that actually takes a lot out of me. Yeah, I definitely recommend if, if, you, if you're not doing video or audio, if you do get a chance mm-hmm. to record yourself when you're stressed out, and hear it back, because that's eye-opening. Or if somebody you know is with you in the room, you might want to ask them to record you at some point. Don't let them just don't 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 let it be too public. Because what's <laughs> going to happen is you get recorded, and you find out you sound like a lunatic when you're mm-hmm. upset. Or the thing is, when you're watching yourself back uh, on video, it you're, you're right. I, I remember I was my own editor, right? I used to do my own independent shows, and I would edit it down, and I would watch hours and hours of myself, and like I slow down there, do more energy there, all this other stuff. Eventually, I had this weird sense of detachment. Like that's the that's the guy on the screen. That's not me. And I had a very very critical eye towards the guy on the screen. And I write these notes down. And then when I would go back to perform, I would look at them as if I would, somebody else had written it. It was a very bizarre detachment to keep that that uh, that frustration aside. Because I think if I did it like you did, where you're watching it back, I would have mm-hmm. to take hours away. But I was the one editing, and so I had to watch this stuff over and over again. And yeah, it was that, just that's rough. That's the, that's the hardest for me. And I think that. Being able to be, you know, honest and critical with yourself ties back to what we were talking about earlier, which is being able to be relatable or to understand what other people are going through. You know, if you can be honest with yourself about your own performance, um, you know, without hurting your own feelings, as it were, I think that also helps too, because you know that way you can learn from yourself. You know, you don't have to wait for someone else to give you critical feedback, which is always very valuable. Um, but if you can give yourself critical feedback, and if you can get to a point where you're not allowing yourself to, to slack off or to do subpar work, um, you know, if you can 
can look at yourself critically. I think that's a, a very important skill too. That obviously makes things a little bit more stressful sometimes. But uh, but you know, if you're looking to improve at something, uh, that's that's an important thing to learn too. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what you know what to talk about today in general, and we just wound up talking about pets and and travel and whatever, <laughs> like we always do. But you know, I want to talk about this. This is funny because this is the topic I want to talk to you about. Focus. Mm. All right, so. You know, we, we work in a pretty competitive industry and there's a lot of companies out there doing lots of different things. And I know at work, I get very frustrated when I hear uh, people drone on about the competition. Uh, personally, yeah. I'm very, uh, I'm about, let's look at our own work, do it better, do it better, do it better. And like, you know, just give yourself that option to do that. Now, I know you've, you've gotten to head up a lot of different things over, over the years. How do you stay focused on the, not just the task at hand, but like a, a goal and without necessarily worrying about, in our, I guess in our position, would be competition. I guess in real life, it'd be just other people. How do you do that, that focus on what you're doing? Keeping track of goals uh, for myself has been a, something I, I've struggled with for sure. I mean, short-term goals, you know, keeping to, to-do lists and task lists and that kind of thing, that's, that's fine. Um, and keeping track of goals for others has been something that I've been able to do pretty well, too. But keeping track of goals for myself has definitely been something I, I've challenged with, um, I struggled with, just because I've always been very focused on, you know, a very, very big picture. When I was editor-in-chief at Engadget, you know, it was very, very difficult to rebuild the team at the time. We are going through a lot of staffing changes when I took over. Um, big competition coming, uh, continuing competition in the tech blogosphere. Um, so there was always a lot going on. It was very difficult for me to to have uh, long-term personal goals. But, uh, you know, at, at that position, it was always very important to watch what the competition was doing because, you know, if so-and-so is getting this or that exclusive and they were a smaller site than us, then I needed to go and talk to the, the PR firm responsible for that company and ask, well, why did you give this to them? You know, we can do a much better job of this uh, than they did. Uh, why didn't you call us next time? And then we'll figure something out that's going to be even better than what they did for you this time. Um, so you had to be, you know, very closely aware of what the competition was doing, making sure that um, we weren't getting left out of anything like anything like that. But ultimately, yeah, it always comes down to having a clear set of, uh, you know, internal quality metrics, which is a really terrible way of putting it. But basically, having a mission statement for yourself and for your site and for whatever it is that you're working on, so that you can have some sort of a quality bar to measure it against. And that being the most important thing, so you stay true to who you are and what you do, uh, you know, if all that you're doing is looking at the competition and chasing them, then ultimately, you know, you might as well just stay in bed in the morning because if, if you're only trying to chase somebody else, uh, it's pretty rare that you're actually going to get better than them at what they're doing. Uh, you've got to be doing your own thing, and that has to be written down. You know, it's got to be in stone. It's got to be a core part of who you are and what you're doing before you even start. Um, if all you're trying to do is chase somebody else, then, then ultimately that's, you know, that, that's no good. So, uh, you know, having a, a core set of quality metrics, having something you're aiming for, having something that defines who you are and what you're doing is a very important thing. But I don't think it hurt, hurts to look at the competition, but, you know, I, I do see a lot of that snarkiness. I do see a lot of the, uh, oh, they just got this and this is a terrible or this is horribly written and, you know, kind of people patting themselves on their back because of, uh, of something that somebody else did that they think is, is low quality, the competition did or something like that. That I find pretty distasteful too. And there's so much of that in our industry. There's so much competition. So many other tech sites out there, so many other sites out there getting exclusives and writing articles and trying to come up with news on a slow day. Uh, and, and there's so much backstabbing and that I, I don't like that at all myself. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is that the way I learned that lesson was like a long time ago. I was a big sports fan, and uh, I would I would watch the Yankees, right? Now, I know that I'm a guy from Queens, so that's weird. I'm a Yankees fan out of spite for my older brother. It's very very odd story. So I would watch the Yankees play, and I'd watch them pick up players year after year after year. And 
I went to school in Boston. And one of the weird things back then is, well, one Boston didn't win very often at anything. So mm-hmm. I would watch the news, and they would always cover the Red Sox and then the Yankees at every local thing. In New York, you'd never hear about the Red Sox. You'd only hear about the, the Mets and the Yankees. And then that's pretty much it when it came to baseball. And so the thing about what I kept seeing from the Yankees were they weren't stealing players from the Red Sox and they weren't constantly trying to mess with them so much as they were building a very strong team constantly. And if their year, they didn't win the world series. That's a failure to them. I'm like, that's a crazy standard to have. But the idea was worry about yourself. And not until like, I think the John Hancock team takes over the Red Sox. Do they go, we're going to just build a really good team. Not just about taking players away from the Yankees or the Orioles or anybody else in the division, build a really good team. And they did. And they won. And so I, I really think that, it's a really weird way to get that lesson. But for me, that's how I've, it's been in my head. I'm like, just be the, just try to be the best on your own. And yes, you, you can look at everything, but what components will make you better? Because if you can build an awesome you or an awesome product or whatever you're doing, awesome team, you know, you'll beat out everybody else as long as you're as good as possible. Because otherwise, you are constantly looking over your shoulder and I don't know, am I as good as this person? Am I going to do this? Or, oh, right. I'll trip this person as I'm doing it. it that won't solve anything. And it, it it might be a short-term solution, you know, steal a pitcher or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's long-term failure. And um, that's a really bizarre point. Just <laughs> get that up. But take, take your life lessons where you can get them. I don't think there's any harm in that. But, but I think this also ties back to being realistic about what you can do. You know, adding Gadget, when, when I took over, we were trying to do a lot of different things, obviously, and build up the team. And one of the things that was very, very, uh, very, very rapidly increasing overall in the industry was increasing quality of video output. And that was something that I wanted us to get better at. But ultimately, you know, we didn't have the resources at the time to really do top-notch, totally you know, great blowout video features. We simply didn't have the budget. We didn't have the staff. We didn't have the resources to make that happen. And so you know, I could have wasted a lot of time fretting about that. I could have really made us try to do the things that we shouldn't have tried to do because we didn't have the resources to do it. You know, we did a lot to increase the quality of our video, but I was always very realistic of the fact that we didn't have dedicated studio time. We didn't have a lot of things that we could, we could really do to make that great. So I kind of just shrugged my shoulders and said, well, this is the best that we can do. We're going to do great with what we've got, but we're not going to waste a lot of time fretting about that because ultimately there's nothing that we can do to make that better until we get a lot more resources, which was out of my hands at the time. So, you know, there are times we've got to be realistic with what you can do um, and, and really prioritize in terms of where you need to improve and where you can improve uh, and, and where you simply cannot improve where you can only improve up to a certain level and then go worry about other things. And, you know, that, you know, depends on the situation, of course, what, what that means to you at the moment. Um, but that's something that I've had to be pretty realistic about over the, over the years and in different situations and different positions is, is, you know, make things great where you can and stand out where you can, but don't let that compromise the quality of anything else that you're doing. Yeah, I was, I was, that, you got my mind going into back when I was an independent uh, podcaster and trying to figure out how, do, how are you going to shoot this? How are you going to do this? I can do this on a budget. And where mm-hmm. I usually started with was, if I had unlimited money, how would I do this? Mm-hmm. And then I started figuring that out. And then I'm like, wait yep. a second, if I had to cut it back. So essentially, I know what the elements are. I need really good lighting. I need good audio. I need uh, a decent set or whatever it would be. And I started paring it down to the point where I'm like, okay, I could build this for $200. Originally, I started with like a, a billion-dollar idea. It's $200, <laughs> and actually, I'll make it work. There are downsides. Uh-huh. You know, my, my lights would have been like a halogen work lamp, so it's super hot. And it's going to suck down a lot of electricity during the time, so work fast. Um, and the camera won't be as great, but the, it's going to look good. And any camera with a lot of light looks good. And if you have a decent enough mic, it's going to sound good. 
mm-hmm. and it's hiding what you can't do. So if you can't do a walk and talk, if I'm going to like, I want to be like the local news and I'm going to walk towards you. If I don't have another person, I can't do it. It's ridiculous. Um, right. So like I've always, I've told lots of people to set their goals wild, then pare it down because sometimes if you think realistic and you can let me know what you think about that. If you think realistically at times, I think that can be a burden because you're thinking, well, I can only do these eight things. I only have so much money. I can only do this. And then you just go, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try. Uh, if you don't think bigger and then figure out you can do it, that you might never try. Absolutely. You should always you know, do the best that you possibly can. And I think sometimes having constraints can make you more creative in terms of coming up with solutions. You know, if, if indeed the, the, the sky is the limit for doing whatever you can do, that can be a burden in itself because ultimately you don't know where to begin. Um, but if you have constraints, if, whether they're budget or resources or time or, or whatever else, um, that can make you think a little bit more creatively about what you need to do to, to, to achieve whatever goal that you're working on. Uh, and I think that can be a very valuable thing as well. You know, you can do a lot of amazing things on a limited budget if, if you've got the time for it and if you can think creatively enough. Uh, and again, it, it depends on the situation, what you're trying to do. But yeah, I, I think that it, it certainly, you know, you can aim for the sky, but again, you've got to be realistic with what you're doing so you don't get halfway there uh, and then run out of resources before you've completed your, your task or completed your setup or whatever it is that you're working on. I'm trying to think it down. Did I completely derail us entirely about happiness and inner peace? And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, finding... Let's talk about setups. Well, the thing is, for me, I needed to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, right? And mm-hmm. I wanted... What would I do for free? And that would be video work, right? I would, like, mm-hmm. I would do that. I would yap on a, on a camera or like explain stuff to anybody mm-hmm. for, the, for the hell of it. And it wound up you know, having to have this weird machination of, like, let's have a studio, let's have this, and let's have that. So it, it's about, like, Dream pursuits, and I know you—you you basically do every activity known to man, right? Like you, I think you tap maple trees. You—I uh, don't do that yet. Oh, you don't do that yet? Not yet. You have the, you have the bees, though, right? We have bees. Yeah, we're getting chickens soon, uh, and we do—we do quite a few other, you know, kind of uh, country homey things. But no, no, no maple syrup yet. Uh, I would like to. We do have maple trees, but uh, in order to make your own syrup, you need to gather a lot of syrup. I think it's 30 gallons for one gallon of syrup, and that requires a lot of boiling down, which usually requires a, a dedicated little, um, you know, a sap boil room, basically, to boil it down. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of equipment required to make that happen. So I haven't gotten there yet. Of course, you would know that, which is even more hilarious. I'm, 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 well. Uh, you know, I'm from Vermont. My grandfather used to do that sort of thing. So, uh, so I think if you're a Vermonter, you pretty much know how to make maple syrup. I think it's kind of in the, in the elementary school teaching, if I remember correctly. Well, actually, going back to focus, the fact that you have so many different interests. Okay, I know you mm-hmm. you have you get to mess with supercars, and then you eventually uh, you do you go skiing a lot. I think. Um, mm-hmm. How do you have so many diverse interests and? Does that mean you don't enjoy them very much? I mean, why would you go after so many things? Because for me, I know, like, I'm always trying to find something new because mm-hmm. I'm not satisfied doing what I'm doing. Um, why do you have so many diverse things that you do then? I, I don't necessarily think that that's a healthy thing, but it's always just been been part of me. You know, I, I guess I think variety is the spice of life, so I do like to try to do as many things as I can. And so, yeah, in the wintertime, you know, there are a lot of people who, who just – ski or snowboard a lot and that's that's their winter pastime but for me you know i've enjoyed playing hockey i do ice racing snowboarding um snowshoeing lots of different things um and you know i I guess i could be a lot better at any one of those individual things if i focused on it Uh, but for me you know it's it's part of the fun is being able to decide well do i want to go snowboarding this weekend or do i want to take the dog snowshoeing or you know there's an ice race do i want to go do that um i think that that is part of part of the fun and 
part of the excitement of life is to go out and try new things and try to get better at new things. Um, I do enjoy trying to improve myself and, and get better at whether I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into bicycle racing now, which, which is something that I'm not particularly good at, but I, I do enjoy training for it and I enjoy going out and, and trying to do better. Um, so I think, I think self-improvement is something that I, I enjoy doing and an easy way to, to feel good about that is to go try something new and suck at it and then uh, see if you can get better. Uh, I'm pretty realistic though, you know, about not spending a ton of money and trying to, uh, you know, going out and buying the fastest motorcycle that I can to go racing on or the fastest car that I can to go racing on or the fastest bicycle to go racing on. You know, I try to keep things pretty reasonable in that regard. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I do enjoy trying new things, and I enjoy trying to get better at those things, especially if it's something like bicycle racing that makes me healthier along the way, uh, all the better. Do you play video games as well? I try to. I don't have as much time for that as I used to. I used to play games an awful lot. In fact, I got my start uh, writing, doing game reviews back in the day. Uh, I still love games a lot, but, uh, yeah, I don't have as much time as I used to for them. Yeah, I was just thinking about like why I don't game so much. And one, I was used to be very obsessive and used to be at gaming anyway. I was I, once yeah. I do something, I'm very into it, and I, I mm-hmm. want to get really good at it, and I will lose hours and hours. And the other thing was, I was I was watching some videos and under, like there was this idea of uh, of simulation. You do these things so you can get an experience that you would never get before. Like, okay, I can be a time traveler, or I can be um, I don't know, Link whatever, or a plumber, whatever you wanted to be, right? And I'm like, wait, I don't want to have a life where I'm being simulated. I don't want to simulate a life. I actually want to go and do stuff. That's, that's one of the reasons why I like trying new things. And like, I like the idea of, of failing at things and, and learning mm-hmm. from that and, and, and being yeah, nervous about it. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I basically don't play games very often because I don't want to live in that life where it's, I am the best NBA jam player. It's like, well, <laughs> now. What do I do with this? I don't know what I'm very bad at. It's another thing. I'm really bad at when I succeed because once I do it, I'm like, well, now what? Now what do you do that you're the best at something? You're like, well, try yeah. out something else. Yeah, I, I t- it depends on the game. I mean, I tend to look at a lot of games like vacations, basically. So if there's a really good game that's come out and I do sink a lot of time into it, you know, I, I tend to look back on those games like, you know, I, I took a vacation somewhere and I had a lot of fun, um, you know, running around shooting people in Far Cry or whatever. And that was a lot of fun, but now I'm back to the real world and that's okay. Uh, you know, if I take a couple of weeks off around the holidays, usually I'll pick up some game and spend a lot of time doing that. Um, but but by and large, yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where, you know, it is fun. I think it's a great stress reliever too, uh, especially if there's um, some competitive or cooperative multiplayer games that I can play with my wife, and that's great too. Uh, we, we play, um, you know, Borderlands and games like that together. I think that's that's actually reasonably good quality time with your significant other, which I think is always important. Um, but yeah, these days, you know, I, I do try to try to not spend as much time playing games as I used to, and I'm a lot more critical about games too. You know, there was a time when if I didn't really like a game, I'd still play it and still try to beat it and get all the way through. Um, these days, if I don't like a game, I, I make up pretty quickly and then i'll i'll just stop playing it uh, I, I i do that with movies and, and with books now too much more so than i used to you know i always used to finish a book even if i didn't like it um but not so much anymore i guess i'm realizing that there are better things i could be doing with my time than reading a book i'm not enjoying at all that's really intriguing uh way you put video games as a vacation uh that i'd never thought about I'm like oh yeah you know what maybe maybe that simulation is a good thing to have every now and then um hmm, i might yeah, try you can't spend your life on vacation uh, unless you're, you know, independently wealthy and, and uh, you've retired, which is, you know, if that's the case, then more power to you. Uh, but otherwise, you've got to come back from vacation at some point. And, and ultimately, you know, if you go to Tahiti for a week, um, you're not necessarily going to be better off in life when you got back than when you left. Uh, but if you can spend 60 bucks and spend a week and, you know, running around on an island chasing dragons or, you know, racing cars or whatever, 
I don't think that's a bad way to look at it myself, and that's kind of how I how I excuse myself in taking time to enjoy some games. But again, I am more critical about those games that I play and, and how much time I spend with them than I used to be. Yeah, I mean, even if you stay on vacation long enough, it gets boring. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, there's there's something about being able to get away and doing that. It's it's, it's a very interesting perspective. And the other thing I, I I wouldn't even think about is um, letting go of a movie. Like, if I'm mm-hmm. watching a movie, I've only walked out on one movie. I probably quit about like five movies in my whole life i will sit it out for the bitter end and hope there's something yeah. better about it and the weird thing is i actually look for the what's good about it it was technically very good i mean that the sound is good uh the shots are nice the plot is crap but mm-hmm. you know just just trying to find what's good about it and that way this is an oddball thing another back to making video is that is that i want to learn not to do something so i'm like that's mm-hmm. garbage don't do that again mm-hmm. um women all over the place um, and the funny yeah, thing is, I good. want to talk about focus, and I really have failed at that today. <laughs> and here we are doing anything but. Yeah, I get very critical about games. You know, as a game reviewer, my first impression has always been, okay, what's wrong with this game? What could be improved? Would I recommend this game? Who would I recommend this game to? That's taken me a while to kind of get out of because I don't do as much game reviewing as I used to. Uh, but with a film, you know. I, I always grew up watching Mystery Science Theater and things like that, too. So sometimes I actually enjoy bad movies more than I enjoy good movies. Um, perhaps it's, that's Joe Hodgson speaking through for me. But, you know, I don't necessarily turn the movie off, but I might pick up my laptop and do some work or do something else while the movie's still on. You know, I I've, will tune out of the film and do something else if it's, if it's not good for whatever reason. So do you find yourself still to be a peaceful guy since the last time we talked? I mean, on this show, not since like two seconds ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were times when I was less peaceful than I am at the moment. I mean, um, I think we did that. It was probably about a year ago, wasn't it, that we did that call? Um, yeah, it was a while ago. ago. Um, toward the end of last year, I was traveling a lot, uh, like 75% of the time. Uh, and that got to be pretty exhausting. But uh, I've been cut back a little bit on travel, which is good. Uh, I haven't been jetting around as much as I used to. So, yeah, more time at home, more time with the dogs, more time, um, you know, getting to enjoy things here. Uh, that, that definitely helps me to, to stay peaceful. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful day. It's, um, you know, a nice place to be. I'm, I'm very much at peace at the moment. Yeah, I, I, try, I, I find myself peaceful at the, at the weirdest times. Like, if I am... You know, I've, I've been stuck at airports where, like, I have a three-hour delay. I went up to uh, – I had my headphones on. This is, a, this is a true story. I had my headphones on. I saw a bunch of people walk up to the counter. I had no idea what was going on. And then I take off my headphones. I walk up to the, the person on the counter. And I go, uh, did I miss an announcement or something? She goes, yes. She's kind of cowering away from me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I go, what happened? She goes, well, the plane is delayed. I go, okay. She goes, I go, for how long? She goes, three hours. And I go – Okay, well, uh, I'm going to be over there. I got headphones on, so if something happens, you just like flag me down so I know that happens. I just want to make sure I don't miss it. And then she's mm-hmm. like, is, is that all? I go, well, yeah, because I can't go anywhere, so I'm just going to I'm gonna sit over there. And like, I could be sitting at the DMV waiting. Or I could, like, the things that drive people crazy, for some reason, that's where I'm calm. I'm just like, well, yeah, well, this is, this is just the way it is. Now, if you put me somewhere where it's normal to be like calm, Mm-hmm. very bad at that i need to tap mm-hmm. into my i need to make sure that i treat everything like the dmv which is a horrible thing to say um, yeah I, I tend to be the same way i get a lot of work done at airports um you know personal writing projects that kind of thing i tend to find it's a pretty good place to um when you can sit still for a little while it's a pretty good place to focus so i tend to do pretty good at airports too which is a valuable skill you know if, if you're going to be traveling a lot um you've got to be able to find your find your peace at those places as much as you can because you know you're with crowds of people who are trying to get on the plane first and you know, constant delays and weather issues and everything else. Uh, if you can find a piece at an airport, I think you're doing pretty good. 
do you do anything to ensure peace? Because for me, I will carry, especially if I have a long trip, I will carry like two, like I have my phone, I'll have an MP3 player, I'll have a backup battery, I'll have two pairs of headphones, maybe even three pairs in case something breaks because I'm really that mm-hmm. obsessive. Because yep. I want to block it out all out because I know that I will be in a much better place if for some reason somebody is crying over there or something's going mm-hmm. on. I want to be able to block it out. So I, I basically, I don't bulletproof myself, but I try. Is there yeah. something that you do uh, that ensures that you're staying at peace wherever you're going absolutely yeah it depends on the length of the trip and and where i'm going you know but i always have a backup set of earbuds and they're always um noise blocking earbuds so that i can you know block out that screaming child that kind of thing Um, i always make sure that i've got a spare battery for my phone and uh, if it's a longer trip like if i'm flying to asia or something like that um, at that point i tend to indulge a little bit and i'll buy a new 3ds game or a new playstation vita game or something like that uh, I will get a new download a bunch of new albums on Spotify. I, I tend to pick an artist who I kind of like, but I haven't really explored their discography. And before the trip, I'll go and download every album in Spotify um, so that I can have that on my phone before I go. Uh, I'll download a new book on my Kindle, and I'll get all that stuff kind of queued up, but I won't touch it. I won't let myself open any of it until I get to the airport. Um, and so at that point, I start to almost look forward to the flight because I'm thinking, okay, I've got this great new game on my 3DS waiting for me. Uh, I've got all this great music lined up in Spotify, and I've got some great new book that I'm looking forward to. At that point, I start to actually look forward to the trip, and, and it doesn't really seem that bad. It almost seems like a vacation because now, you know, obviously I've probably got a lot of work to do as well, but uh, when it gets to be late in the day, if it's an overnight flight, that kind of thing, uh, I know that I've got something good to watch, something good to play, something good to listen to. And that helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, I always travel with an eye mask so I can try to get some sleep. Um, earbuds and earplugs, I think, are very important. Um, and, uh, and I've learned how to sleep in a coach class seat, uh, which has taken many years of practice. But that's an important thing, too. You don't have like a scale model at your, at your, at your house? <laughs> no, I, I haven't needed one. I spend more time in coach class seats than at my house, I think. So, uh, so no, I don't need one here. Thanks. No, I mean, this is... I'm just just trying to figure out all the steps it takes day by day. I mean, this is the funny thing. Like this episode's been about almost the small things you got to do to find peace. It might be earbuds, might be just trying, challenging new things or whatever. And the funny thing is, you've made what most people find to be a very stressful activity, uh, traveling, and you've made it fun by actually setting up restrictions. Okay, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to read this book. I'm not going to listen to this album until. And I think that's a really smart way to make those things fun because otherwise. It's really easy to realize those activities are kind of taxing, say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you can give yourself anything to look forward to, that helps a lot. And I'm someone who still gets excited about, you know, if there's a new game coming out that I'm looking forward to. Or, you know, when the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 came out, I was, you know, genuinely excited when I got home and finally got to crack open the systems. You know, I guess that's, that's something of my childhood that I've always tried to, to keep hold of. So it's the same thing when I have a new game that I'm really looking forward to playing or a new book that I'm looking forward to reading, I get reasonably excited about that sort of thing. So to make myself wait is, is kind of hard, but it definitely does. It helps me a lot. Um, you know, I don't dread those long flights when I, when I know that I've got something good to look forward to. And I think that helps. And it's the kind of thing that you don't need to spend a lot of money to make that work. If you've already got Spotify, you know, it doesn't cost you any more money to download a bunch of music. You can find really great games for the 3DS or the Vita or, or even the older Game Boys for, you know, 10 bucks, something like that. Um, you know, if you allow yourself to spend an extra 20 or $30 on top of the cost of your flight for some sort of premium entertainment for yourself that'll go a long way to making that trip a lot better i think we should wrap up then and if you heard this whole episode and you're like okay i got nothing i got nothing out of this episode these guys are they're full of it they have no idea how to be <laughs> happy all over the place, yeah. uh, uh you should go back like i said before we had another episode where tim is telling me about perspective and i remember that because perspective mm-hmm. is very important in figuring out 
uh, what it takes to just kind of survive because stuff can suck, you know, and you can let it suck or you can go, wait a second, this can get better. There's, there's a lot more uh, to this whole living thing. But I mean, if you're not happy on the day, like the stuff we're talking about today, like you're not going to be happy tomorrow. You got to actually be happy today. It's very hard to do that in any given time. But we have another episode. Go ahead, check it out at gfqnetwork.com. Tim, is there anything you'd like to say, promote, or anything before we leave? Uh, if you enjoyed my ramblings, you can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Stevens. Um, but uh, but no, I mean it's it's been a pleasure talking to Ayas. I appreciate you having me back on here, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope this has been an interesting discussion uh, for the folks uh, listening at home. If anything, they, they they will actually see the fact that you live like Snow White, and there are animals floating by. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, he's, he was dressed by birds. It was amazing. Uh, very definitely. comforting when the birds come in, <laughs> bring a shawl. It's very nice. A little, a little breezy though today. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, anyway, I think that does it for us. And uh, from 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 me, you know what? I have been trying to find this this whole piece thing for now seven years, and I'm getting there. And the fun thing is talking to people that that seem to have it together. And sometimes you find out they've been trying as long as you have. And there's something about I know this sounds really like over the top, but like it, there's something about hearing other people's struggles that might might help you get through yours because that's what I'm basically doing. I'm sharing a lot of my. Uh, issues and problems and, and I've had fine folks helping me with that. So talk to people and, and, and surround yourself with people who will help you get through stuff because the last thing you need is people tearing you down saying, you won't be happy. Well, then those people you shouldn't hang out with because that's going to really screw you up. Um, at least it's happened before. So that does it for us, I think. If you've got questions, if you've got uh, comments, if you want to see other episodes, check out gfqnetwork.com. We've got everything there. I'm Ayaz Akhtar and we'll see everybody later. Good luck. <laughs>